Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Tuesday morning. I'm going to take a whack at the Simon Bono this week for... Um, as always, for Mishpachas Stefanski, which actually this week, uh, this Sunday, Mirza Hashem, they're having a big simcha. Uh, their son, um, Usher, is getting married. So, uh, Mazel Tov. And let's jump in uh, to the beginning of this uh, complicated subject, which is how you understand the Sum Bonham. I already gave some introductions uh, for the Mukabalm, especially for the Ramakra Moshe Cordoviro, who is a actually the easiest of them to understand, although he's very, very lengthy. Uh, I would uh, start by saying that, at least to me, I can only show you my impressions. A big difference when you read the Kabbalistic stuff on the one hand uh, and the Nigla stuff on the other hand, or the Maimonidean, that might be better, is this business of gradations. At the end of the day, the Kabbalim, especially the Ramak, all hold from the philosophical problems that, you know, God is not physical, therefore heaven and hell can't be physical, and so on and so forth. So the descriptions you find are going to be some sort of not physical. The question is, what does not physical mean? So to a philosopher, not physical means metaphorical. To a Kabbalist, it doesn't necessarily mean metaphorical, it just means not physical. It's a different, it's a different kind of existence. So if I talk, now, the, at the end of the day, even the Rambam, those guys say that, because what happens to you, according to Rambam, when you die? Well, there's a different type of scharononish. It's not physical, but it does happen. So it's taking place in a different kind of reality. Okay, you know, I get that. So if you're talking about a different kind of reality, then you don't necessarily mean a metaphorical one, because, like to the Rambam, uh, the, the, the soul of the righteous do have some kind of heavenly sort of experience, not in the, as they say, descriptive physical way, but in other words, it's not simply a metaphor, right? The physical descriptions are metaphorical, but the reality of a schar and an onish is not metaphorical, okay? But nevertheless, Rambam, Sadigo, and the others don't go into, like, details of all this, because... They're like kind of frank and acknowledging that we don't know exactly what it is. We know what it isn't. We know what it's not, but we don't know exactly what it is. And uh, therefore, you know, Tzadikim, Matrosim, Rosham, Nenem, all those expressions you find aren't to be taken literal. On the other hand, and, and their interpretation may be metaphorical, but they don't refer to metaphorical realities because that's an oxymoron. A metaphorical, a metaphor by definition is not real, but we're talking about stuff that is real. The descriptions of them may be, you know, not exact, but the phenomenon is real. I hope I'm not confusing you. Now, the reason I mention this is because um, it strikes me that when you get into the sort of nigla approach, the philosophical approach, they don't go into the nitty gritty details. You die, you go to heaven, whatever that means. You die, you bad, you go to hell, whatever that means. You know. 
maybe believe in a purgatory, something like that. Yeah, like I'm doing. Eh, eh, eh. If you're talking about the Mukabalim, especially the Moshe Cordovero and all that, there's a very rich literature, uh, not only in the Chazal, as we'll see in a second, but also in the Gemara. I mean, in the Zohar and such places, with extremely detailed descriptions of uh, of heaven and hell, frankly, you know, and, and um, or or whatever those terms means of the world of Schar and the world of Onish, where I said it wrong, the Olamos. You see, what I'm talking about of Schar and Onish, uh, because they understand reality in a much more structural way, having to do with the Sephiros. But before we get into that, um, the, the, the most interesting part to me, and therefore I'll share with you, when you read, uh, I'll use today Dharamah, because that's what we talked about. I mean, he's not the only one at all. Uh, but he's the one who's, I think, the clearest in all this. Um, not that this stuff is clear, is the idea of... Uh, of absolute justice in the sense of, um, you, you know, you, you that everyone is rewarded or punished according to the great, the fine gradations of their individual uh, good and bad deeds. <clears throat> and that is actually a very interesting point. So let me try to explain. Suppose <clears throat> from the point of view of man, of Olam Hazeh, of this world, so consider the following... A guy uh, goes and murders somebody eh, cruelly, you know, with malice aforethought uh, in Olamazeh. And let's say we're talking about a Jewish situation. So he does so with Adim and Hasra. So then you, you kill him. He's Chai Misa. Well, at that point, what if he shoots two, or kills two people or three or more? You can only kill him once. And the halach in the Torah is just that. You only, you know, such a person, if it was a mass murderer or... Alternatively, if he killed one person, it's the same uh, Onish, you see? Because murder is murder. Now you'll say, it's not fair. I get that. The Torah, like modern systems of jurisprudence, incidentally, <clears throat> declines to take that into account. And you only kill him once. So as I said before, the guy gets the, you know killed, executed for killing one person, and same, the same thing for killing many, Right? And so the result is that it's a certain injustice, right? But you figure, well, on the other side, we'll get him, <laughs> you know, in Shemayim. So it's just, it's just like sort of take it for granted. Now, may I say that in the history of other cultures, in the old days, before the 18th century, uh, this was discountenanced. And if somebody did a certain crime, the courts of the different cultures and countries, especially in Europe, I know for sure, this is the Michel Foucault books, uh, adjusted the, the, the tortures according to the level of the crime. So, for example, if you killed one person, uh, I don't know, they chop your head off. You kill two people, three people, four people, they whip you before they chop your head off. You know, you kill five, six people and you did it, but and you crushed the baby uh, ruthlessly. We'll roast you and toast you before we, you know, burn you a little bit at the stake or burn some of your arms off or, you know, stuff like that. In other words, the point being that the human punishment administered by the courts, by the law, 
will be grade, graded, gradated, lefi, the chaymer uh, of the action that you did, of the crime that you committed. So someone who killed one person will be punished differently than someone who killed two or three. And that's why in the old days, crowds used to like and go and watch the tortures and the drawing and quartering and, you know, whatever else, and the whipping and all the rest of it. It's not simply that the crowds were sadistic. That may be the case, but it's not simply that the crowds were sadistic and they got their kicks by watching others, you know, suffer. But Adrabo, many times, it's you want to see that Lafi Madrigoso, the punishment was according to the Chaimer of the act that was committed. And so when you see, maybe it's a deterrent, but it's more of a sense of justice that according to the evil that the per- the guy perpetrated, so that's how much evil we perpetrate on him in terms of the law, the legal punishments given to the person. That's why there's all these different types of tortures in pre-modern uh, jurisprudence, right? You know, like I said, for drawing and quartering and uh, using the knout in, in Russia, and breaking bones, and, I don't know, popping out eyeballs. I mean, they did all kind of stuff. If you get your kicks on this, you just go online, you can read up on it. You know, they melted a guy with wax things on his head, oh, you know, because he tried to kill the king of France. Uh, you know, they, they, they had all kind of uh, tortures worked at it. They threw guys into boiling, uh, 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 boiling uh, you know, oil, you know, into, into a big pot. It's all kind of things like the law prescribed because... They wanted to make clear that it's not simply you do one thing and you, you know, no matter what you do or how many times you do it or with what chaymer or, or level of cruelty or sadism that you do it or regardless of regardless of its effects on others, you know, you I mean, it's the difference between killing a single guy and killing a breadwinner for a family, you know, the, you can wipe out the family that way. And so there, there, there are different types of, uh, of uh, punishments that were in the law codes were calculated to do this. And so the, the crowd, at least the, the oilam, the people out there got the feeling that there's a justice, right? So in other words, you know, let's say there were a cat caught Hitler. It wouldn't be enough to shoot him in the back of the head. You know, it's that kind of approach. I mean, he killed 6 million people and he had fun doing it. And more than 6 million, you know, he killed uh, millions of non-Jews as well. So, you know, I don't know what they should have thought for up for him. If Hitler would have lived a couple hundred years ago and he would have been caught, oh boy, they would, you know, bake him and, and roast him and toast him and slice him and dice him and I don't know what, you know. So it wouldn't have been an easy business, which is why he, he killed himself. He figured he beat the, he beat the you know, the, the, the justice. So according to modern law and according to the Torah, we don't do that. There's no torture in Jewish law. I think you know that. Um, you can only give somebody, you know, skilus, rave, herikhenik, whatever punishment is, or malchus. And it doesn't matter, so to speak, in terms of the quality of the punishment, um, how many times or, or how evil the person was. So again, if a person, uh, in, in Judaism, a person murdered somebody with Adam and Asra and all the rest of it, and that guy was a single guy, and on the other hand, he murdered uh, someone who was a breadwinner for a family, and as a result of his murder, the whole family's going to starve, I mean, you, you still give them the same misa, okay? But I said, in, in, but in Judaism, we figure like this. This is the laws of the Torah for Olam Hazeh. What happens in Olam Haba is a different story. So, Taka, what happens in Olam Haba? I don't know, but, you know, you figure, 
Hashem is just, and the person will punish. So let's put it this way. Hitler can't beat that. He could shoot himself in this world. But who knows what he's going through over there, right? Who knows what he's going through over there? But it's probably beyond imagination, but it's bad. And it can't simply be that Hitler, who killed six million and more, is is ends up in the same you know room in Gehenna with a guy that, that murdered one person or something like that. You know, it's just that our sense of Elohei Mishpat militates against that, even though you don't really find in the Nigel literature, um, you know, any descriptions of that. The Rambam famously sort of just you know tosses it out in a general way, at least to my knowledge, because of the famous passage in Hilchus Tshuva, that Rambam being, you know, a nigla and a philosopher too, and in Hilchus Tshuva, on the other hand, the Rambam is not simply a philosopher, he does go with the Gemaras, and he talks about, in Per Gimel of Hilchus Tshuva, he talks about the fact that, you know, um, like the Gemara says, you're decided whether you're Rov Averus or Rov Mitzvah, remember that in, in Rosh Hashanah? So, very briefly, in Per Gimel, and if you have more Zechuyos, you're a Tzadik. If you have more Avonos, you're Russia. Mechza, Mechza, you're Benini. And so on and so forth. And then, uh, he goes on to say, in uh, Per Gimel Hachabes, that, in Avonos, Merubos, Al Zechuyos, Miyad, who makes If he's got more Averis than Mitzvahs, then he, then he dies. And same thing with a country. Okay, like Sedom and Amora. Now, the point's like this. I, it's not true. <laughs> in other words, there are plenty of wicked people and nothing bad happens to them. There are plenty of wicked Medinas and nothing bad happens to them. So the Rambam goes on to say, very, you know, importantly, but only to answer this question of the fact that pragmatically, you know, uh, empirically, you don't see Lamaisa that Odom Shavonosam Rubos Chuyosam Yahu Mesparisho or Medina Shavonosam Rubin Miyati Ovedis. You don't see that. So, in the context of answering that, not in the context of trying to explain what goes on in life after death, the Rambam says, that this shikol, this calculation that God makes about a country or about a person, whether or not they're rove mitzvahs or rove averis, that goes by not quantity but quality. It goes by quality. Yesh zechus shehi keneged kama avonos, v'yesh avon shehi keneged kama zechuyos. Right? So there could be that you have one mitzvah that outweighs others, and vice versa. Even though, I mean, let's put it this way, what zechus could Hitler and the, and the Nazi regime have had for the 12 years that they were rocking and rolling? You know, in other words, this is a theological statement. It doesn't empirically seem to be true. But, you know, that's how these things go when you try to figure out what's going on upstairs in Shemaim. And the Raman concludes, and this is the point I wanted to make, To try to come up with a, a real explanation of why the righteous suffering, the wicked prosper, or the Adam Zechuyos, you know, or the more mitzvah, the more Averis, and you don't see pragmatically, empirically, I should say, you don't see that someone who seems to be a big sinner drops dead, he's not Miyahu Mesbarisho, and same thing with the Medina, but he said, well, you don't understand it, but God does. 
This can only be weighed with the kind of das which belongs to the Rabbanu Shalom, El Deos, the, the master of all das. Only he understands how to you know, match up in terms of quality, what counts for more, what counts for less. Okay, fine. As far as I'm aware, that's the only time the Rambam makes any kind of mention of this. On the other hand, in the Kabbalah, especially in Ramak and all this, who, who really summarizes a lot of the earlier sources, that's his uh, f- claim to fame. Uh, and uh, in, in, uh, and I'm looking at uh, the uh, the Partus Ramonim and the Sefer Elimo. Uh, the Partus Ramonim, which I have a nice one. It's funny, I'm always waiting. I used to have an old one with, with Rashi print. For some reason, it was like a turnoff. Now I have one with the regular uh, Osius Marubos, which this kind of stuff I find easier. It ain't Manukod, and you're going to laugh at me, but I'm laughing at you because the Partus Ramonim actually has, uh, you know, it's 32 uh, Sha'arim, it's 32 uh, uh, general chapters with a lot of little ones um, in between. There's Sha'ars and Periks. And uh, he has a whole one, 28, Shahar Nakudos. <laughs> The Kabbalistic significance of the kudos. So you'd figure, I'm serious. And you know the 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 shva and the segel and all that. And all the rest of it. They all have uh, you know big Kabbalistic significance. So, um, but nevertheless, um, the primary place where he talks about. Um, schar Onish is in both but Schar seems to be in the Elimo and as I'll, I'll try to explain in a second and uh, uh, as I approach it so I'll tell you is uh, you know on, on what basis the Mkabalim are coming from when they try to describe the different parts of heaven and hell but the uh, advantage to giving a detailed description is um, even though it's it's unusual for people not into this, is it's uh, uh, extreme. It's oops, book fell down. It's comp- extreme complexity, and the fact that both Schar and Otis will call. Let me call it heaven and hell, right? That's an oversimplification, but that's what I'll do. Uh, are described in terms of hecholos, uh, you know, rooms. And uh, they represent different places where different types of uh, uh, tzaddikim, on the one hand, occupying heaven. I'll do one or two. And uh, conversely, different maduras and levels of uh, Gehenim that different types of sinners do. So therefore, it's more like Dante's Inferno. In the sense that you have, you know, descriptions of of, uh, specific types of punishment uh, for specific types of sinners, which accords more with the idea that there's a ale deos, as the Rambam puts it, and that there's absolute justice, and that, uh, you know, uh, it's not simply that if you're righteous, you get into heaven, and if you're wicked, you get into hell. But it, it, there's different types of heaven, okay? And so, like the Rambam's description of heaven... One of the big tines against it, as a matter of fact, is it's all intellectual. If you read the way the Rambam describes the heaven, a person who is not a philosopher or an intellectual at all is going to be bored out of his mind, lo and void. 
Suppose I told you to use modern yeshiva shit talk. You go to the Masifta Rikia and you hear, I'm going to just make this up, and you hear a shear, uh, you know, from, uh, I don't know, Rabbi Kiva Hager, Rabbi Yulanozi, forever. Well, there's a certain type of people say, I guess, that's ecstasy. And there's other people say, I guess, get me out of here, <laughs> right? Because it's not, it's not who they were in Olam Hazah. Not everyone is built. They wants to hear a shear from Rabbi Kiva Hager endlessly forever, you know? So, uh, is that the totality of what heaven is? And, you know, to some philosophers, like the Rambam, he talks about the active intellect, yes. But in, in the Kabbalah, no. All right? Now, uh, the first thing you have to understand in this way is the very interesting fact that, you know, uh, uh, God uh, creates the world uh, with the spheros, Okay, which is not so clear to everybody because you read the Chumash, Hashem simply said, Let there be heaven, you know, and the Brazil Borel Him is the Shemai Vart. He or, he this, he that. And it popped out of nowhere. And the Kabbalah said, Well, no, they created the Kleba, uh, the, um, what do you call it, the, the spheres, and the spheres are the ones out of which emanated all these realities and things of that nature. So that's kind of unusual for the, most people to understand. And moreover, the same thing, to, so the heaven will be a function of that, but so will hell, because there's a divine reality in evil. Right? I mean, let's put it this way. This is something the, the Rambam doesn't go into, although it's, it's, it's very much implied. And that is, who created, I mean, notice, sin is created by God, because it created everything. There's nothing exists outside of God. And so, if there is Ra in the world, and there is, in all kind of forms, it's all from Hashem. And so the Rebbe Shalom created a funny universe. It's got good, but it's also got bad. And since Ra is created by God, I mean, the Ra has power. And therefore, you're talking about there'll be good angels and bad angels, to use a, a plain you know, expression. And there'll be good kochos and bad kochos out there, and different than the sham, when a person dies, he may end up in, in 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 the universe of the bed, which is created by God. You won't like it being there, but you know that's where your conduct will will lead you. I always remember I saw this many 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 years ago, I mean decades ago, when I first looked at the Menachem in Israel, and he's trying to explain. You know he has it in, in plain uh, English or Spanish translated English about the witch of Endor when King Saul see, raises the ghost of uh, Shmuel Anavi, you know, and uh, what's going on over there? And was, was it really Shmuel? Was it a, a self-delusion as the, the um, you know, the rationalist interpreters, the Red Doc and the others say? Or did he mamish raise up Shmuel Anavi? And he says, get over it. He did it. Right? He did raise the dead Samuel so how could he do that from Kisya Coven and all the rest of it? And he says, listen, uh, take the story literally, and I'm quoting, and with the Kabbalists, you say that in the same way that God created on the side of sanctity ten lights called spheros, in the same manner, on the side of impurity, God created ten exterior powers called klipos, shells, and in the same manner as prophets, enjoying the influence of those sovereign lights, foretold the future, meaning the same way you can be a Novi and use, in the right way, the ten spheros 
of Kedusha. So similarly, necromancers, which is Ovin Yedoni, by their arts, might attain the same by means of exterior powers as Bilaam did. So no, this would be the idea that Bilaam is using as to use the general expression kochas but the idea would then be there exists kochas and to deny the presence of evil, you know, or to say that evil is the absence of good, or evil is simply the opposite of good, is wrong. Evil is a metzius of its own. Therefore, you know, uh, it's not like, you know, you imply in the Rambam, you get into heaven or you don't, right? Or you just disappear. Uh, that's always been a big problem of people, and we saw the Ramban was really bothered by this, and the Ramban's, of course, a Makobo. He said, no, it's got to be that not simply if you sin, you don't get into heaven, you don't get into the party, but you have to suffer, okay? So, so therefore, there's going to be great descriptions of, of, um, of how the uh, wicked will suffer in gradated form. Those who are more wicked will suffer in worse worlds. Those who are less wicked will, su- will suffer in lesser <coughs> worlds. And the agents that carry these things out are, are malachim or angels. And so in the Kabbalah, um, there's a much heavier uh, use of angelology, of, of malachim, to do good things and to bad things. Now, the start of this discussion, it seems to me, is, is in the is in the Gemara. Um, at least that's what it seems to me. And I'm thinking about the very famous Gemara in Chagiga that probably most people are familiar with, or not most people, many people, where where heaven is actually described as a bunch of heicholos, not as one place, or as we've been talking about when we use the rational philosophers, a different reality, a different state of being. But the language that's used, now the Rambam will interpret it as states of being, but the language used is much more physical, okay? And, you know, I'm talking about the Gemara in the Chagiga, which says, Tanr B'yosi Yomer on Yud Beis, Oilem Maros, that, you know, people don't understand the mystical reality. The language he uses is people are standing, right? They, they see and they don't realize what they're seeing. You understand? They don't, they, they, meaning, you don't know the reality in which you live. It looks to the average person like the physical reality is the Gansa business. And they don't realize the physical reality is based on, on metaphysical stuff. Uh, Again, this is in the Gemar Chagiga. This is a Nigla source, not a Nister one. But listen to what it says. So you know, once he starts talking like that, you can't say, well, they thought in the old days that the world stands on certain pillars. Because if the pillars are standing on Ruach, what the heck is Ruach? And Ruach on a Sa'ara, on a storm, what's a storm? And then, what's that hanging on? Sa'ara tluyeb is Rosh HaKadosh Baruch The Sa'ara, the storm, is hanging on the arm of God. Well, you're not going to suggest that that's physical, okay? So, and Chachamim don't agree. They say, Shnei Masar Amudim, V'yeshamar Shivu Amudim, so already they're talking about a reality built on other realities. And that's in the nigla. Okay? Now it's a hard nigla. You know, it's a, in other words, it's 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 a difficult agatha. And I ain't finished. Because the more goes on and on and on. Having talked about what the world is standing on, which means the world that you and I are seeing physically around us, 
because he said oil and labria shows they don't know what they're seeing uh that's you and me right but the Gemara goes on to say that as far as the Riki is concerned there are two of them okay and then Rishlokin says there are seven of them. And he lists out there's Vilon, and then there's Rakia, and then there's Shachim, and then there's Zavul, and then there's Ma'on, and then there's Machon, and finally there's Aravos. And, and, and this Agatha goes on in great detail to tell you what these Rakias are. And when he's talking about Rakia, he's already talking about, you know, Shemayim. He's talking about Shemayim, he's talking about metaphysical world. So he's describing the world you enter after you're dead. For for better or worse, you know, you hope you end up in the good places. But he's talking about the world you enter after you're dead. Or the enter, meaning the the world into which the the soul is translated once the soul departs from the body, to use, you know, English. And you know, he goes into whole details about this stuff. Zavu and 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 you know, listen to this. Zavul, that's one, two, three, four, that's the fourth of the levels of the Rakia of Rishlakish of the seven. Shabo Yushlam Besamigdash and Mizbeh Boni, or Michal Sarhagodal Omid and Makrivalo Carbon. Just like a heavenly uh you know, Jerusalem and a heavenly temple in which carbonus are being offered. And what does that mean? Okay? You understand? What does that mean? So they understand this in, in gradated form that there's you know beyond and beyond and beyond. None of this is physical, but all this is real. But in what way? And then you have beyond that, you know, a, a, a higher rikia, you might say, ma'on shabok kitzis shalmacha sharis sharm mashiras belayla b'chashes biyom. That's where angels are located. Okay, and then it goes on and on and on, and and the highest one, the seventh of them of Rishlakish, these are rikias. I tell you again, and I repeat, this is not the Zohar, and I'm not reading the Rizal. This is just straight in the Gemara. Uh, the Aravos Shabo Tzedek Mishpat Utsdaka Ginze Chayim Veginze Shalom Veginze Brachos Right Ginazim of this stuff Vinishmosan Shal Tzedikim So you ask me what happens you know when you die Nishmosan Shal Tzedikim Veruchos Unishamos Sheosid Lehibaros Okay Veruchos and Nishamos that, that will be born one day and the substance that God will use for and he goes on and on all, all this sort, sort of thing, you know, the rest of it is just uh, proof text and things of this nature and uh, and let's put it this way so you see already uh, you know um, how should I put it you see already in Nigla the notion which I would not call in my monodian notion which is there are gradations and, and departments or different levels of worlds. And this does not sound like the active intellect. Okay, not to me. And the Gemara goes on there in, in, in Yud Gimel to say, Menorah Salarakia is 500 years, Chamesh Meoshona, right? And then Oviyashurakia is another 500 years, Ben Rakia Rakia, Lamal Men Chayas Akodesh, and Ragli Chayas Kenega Kulam. And the Karsulia Chayas, he's already talking about the angels. Shokia Chayas, he's talking about their legs and their arms and their feet and so forth. Ruchuvia Chayas, Kenegakulam. Yachayas, Kenegakulam. Gufia Chayas, Kenegakulam. Tsavari Chayas, Kenegakulam. So he's going up the body of the angel. Roshia Chayas, Kenegakulam. 
Karne Hachais Kane Kulam, the Mailam Hen Kisi Akovid, Ragla Kisi Akovid Neg Kulam, Kisi Akovid Kane Kulam, Melch El Chayve Kaim Rambanisa Shokhan Aleyam, and that's not God either, because you can't talk about God in those terms, right? And so on and so forth. So, you know, this is in that parak where it talks about Maisim Rakovin and that you're not supposed to talk about all them. So, but having not talked about it, he gave a very vivid description over here. So, if you're going to see, like the Ramak, uh, don't be surprised when you're coming out of this tradition and you're amplified by similar texts with greater detail in the Zohar. So, uh, sure, you're going to talk about Heichalos. And in the um, Pardis Ramonim, which he wrote when he was 25 or 27 or something like that, right? So you have a whole area. Shar uh, Chavdalad is the Heichalos of Kedusha. Right? Yichas no Shem Heichalos and Medei Shabo Yisbar in Yenzayin Heichalos of Kedusha Kemoshanim Tzabazor and Ksasli Yimalochim. And so he's got a whole bunch of chapters about the different Medurim. You know, Heichal Rishon, Heichal Sheni, and so forth. And later on, he's got something similar to that uh, on the side of evil. Shar Chafei, Shar HaTemuros, Shabog is born in Yenaklipas, Shem Ra Temuros HaTov. They're Ra Temuros HaTov, you know, in exchange, the opposite of the Tov. And again, you got, and he's got Heichal Yatemuros, and he's got these seven sorts of things over there. So, what happens to people when they end up in these situations? I'm going to um, start with a, a, a one or two, and then we'll carry because I've gone long already. But you have to do this by way of background to just make a, a little bit of a start. And if you look in um, the Elima, right, which is, you know, remember in Elim, they had Shivim Tamarim, you know, when the Jewish people found an oasis. So that's his, uh, you know, Kabbalistic uh, style. And one of the things he has over there in uh, Mayan Ain Odom, is uh, the Gehenim stuff, but I, I don't want to spend time on that right now. I want to talk about uh, going into the Heichals for the righteous person. So you lived a good life, so so where do you end up? The answer is, you don't end up in it. You end up in, in, in some department of heaven, a Heichal. Now, I know it's not literal, and you can't speak in spatial terms, but they do, <laughs> right? And the Gemara did. In the Niglet, they talked in these spatial terms. Okay? So, I would simply um, mention two, which are uh, very uh, interesting. And maybe another time we'll talk about the others. Uh, the first one, the Heichel Rishon, is Heichel Rishon, Ben Yana Machtim Sod Spheros, Lozei Yishtashu Yoshev Hagan, Lahaker Gedulos Borom, Kamosh Oyam Rishon Maker Gedulos Borom Ito Hagan. So that's a Maimonidean description. That the first Heichal, which is, I guess, the lowest, uh, that's where you see God the way Onomarishan did. Meaning, nobody, including Onomarishan, can understand God. By definition. I repeat, by definition. But you can get a lot farther than you and I. And that's the uh, and that's your reward. So it's and it's, it's called mishtasheya. So in other words, it's not only an intellectual, but it's fun. It's it's pleasurable. Yishtashu Yoshvi Agan Lahakir Gedulas Borom Kamoshayim Rishon Makir Gedulas Borom Mitoch Agan. 
So Gan Eden, therefore, is, is not simply the Garden of Eden, which was a place where Adam and Eve hung around, it, which is, that's true, but also is a state of, of understanding. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, not only did they have trees and no clothes and all the rest of it, but they they had a certain a relationship or, or comprehension of the Rabbanu Shalom, which they lost or which deteriorated when they were expelled from the Garden of Eden. So as is, is true always with these biblical stories, there is a literal side to it, but and that's true. You know, in other words, there wasn't Adam even they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden and so on and so forth, right? Uh, especially for the Ramak. Sure, but what's more um, uh, significant, or maybe I should say what's more interesting to us, he would say, to Makovel is, not that they simply were kicked out of a nice garden which they didn't have to work in, it was lush and all the rest of it, but in the garden, they they had a certain uh, uh, Havana, certain understanding of Hashem, which was a tremendous sort of thing, and that's what they lost. So in the in the Heichel Risham, those who live the righteous life and deserve it, okay, as he puts it over here, Negan Midas Hamalchus, Negan Heichel Lifnas Asapir, so those who who, uh, uh, who merit to get into that, uh, they'll have this intellectual kind of thing. The, 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 but the intellectual will not simply be intellectual. It'll be mishtasheya. It'll have an emotional component, even though intellect and emotion are not necessarily words that may apply to olamos, but that's the words that they use. Okay? That's the words that they use. And... Um, there's a lot more technical than I'm saying. As far as I'm concerned, that's the heart of it. Now, the third Hechel is what I find the most interesting for us today. And that is, some get to the third Hechel. Listen to this. Here we deal with an entirely different question. And the question, is, which is fascinating, and that is those who live the life of pain. Right? Those who live a life of pain, of suffering, those guys probably don't care about, you know, Masig, Elohus, and all. Maybe they do. I don't know. But, you know, how do they find the balm or the reward or whatever for the pain that they had in their life? So this is Hechel Ashlishi. So if you're righteous, and you die righteous, you may possibly end up in this place. Now, he has a lot of names, but it's what they mean. Who ends up over there? Good kids who died young. This is a painful episode for the person who died and inside the family that lost them. Okay, so heim asku b'torah b'sod limunam kanodav heim mitzdarim al shalosh lima yemehem ve'elu vadi bali yisur b'chayim mamish. So people who suffered one type of suffering, and this is what the Ramak you know came up with. This one type of suffering is the person who lived a very short life and was a good kid, and therefore their neshama, I guess. Is is entire? You know, how come we didn't get a chance to live a full life and and develop ourselves, do more mitzvahs, whatever it is? So to use uh, language that for the twentieth century, 
the children that were killed, the from children were killed in the Holocaust. Something along those lines, right? So uh, don't worry. Uh, they end up in a place called Hechel Shlishi, and there they will understand what happened to them. They will be comforted what happened to them. The suffering will be not there. Even though, see here he's addressing the human suffering, which is like the heck with this, uh, Maimonidean intellectualism. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, what about the problem of suffering? Okay? And you can't simply say, Ale Deus and all the rest of it. So they will find a place, or they will they will exist in a state of uh, of being of some sort in which the whatever the negative side was in Olam Haza will be will be undone. They'll be in a positive side. Habez, what's another group that ends up there? Call Osam, isn't it interesting? Call Osam Shasavlu Yusurm Kashim Ob Mail Niskarm, Kagon Osam Hasovim Cholim Rhyme, Okavim Kashim Mitsada Hagvor Hadin. Okay? People who 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 have bad health. I mean, unfortunately, we all know there are people whose whole lives are wrecked by pain, or significant parts of those lives, or who suffer from terrible illness. By the way, it could be mental illness, right? Say, I've spoken about this before. Think about a person, God forbid, who's suffering their whole life from, you know, one of these mental illness type things. The, the whole life is a Yasurin. And, you know, you say like this, uh, I'm normal and this one's not normal. I thank God, you know, don't have this. This one has this. It's terrible. And Kalbachomer, those who, who are born with illnesses or all, all other kinds of of uh, malformities or things like that. So, Savlu Yisurim Kashem Od Meila Nizkarn. Right? Uh, don't worry. If those people, I guess, listen, I, I'm assuming because of their suffering, therefore they get into this Hechel. Right? They get into this Hechel. So this would be not a place of enlightenment. This would this would be a heaven, which is not characterized by intellectual enlightenment, but a heaven which is characterized by um, comfort. I mean, comforting the, the, the bringing bringing genuine nechama. You know, bringing and and there's your pleasure. You, you know, you, you whatever you suffered, can I get that? You get now the 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 schar. In this place, so it's it's to my mind, it's like addressing a different side of the human condition. One side of the human condition is is the intellectually curious one. The other side of the human condition is you know the um, the, the one the theodicy one. Knows, knows why does God do bad things to people? Here they find out why, and and here it's all made right. Um, so that's not you know like I say, a a, a question for a brainiac. That's a question for a sufferer. And the third group, by the way, which ends up here, uh, yeah, right? The people who genuine, this is the why they do, uh, what's that at night? Taking chatzos, all the rest of it. You're supposed to be mitzdayer, al-churm beis And if you really mean it, Elohim shofchim demos bolam hazed tamid. These people cry all the time about the churm beis which is what one is supposed to do. Right? And the Mashiach in, 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 in that heaven, in that Hechel, gives them the Nechama.
right? As a reward, a chelif for the tzara that they had in Olam Hazeh. So one department of reward is, you know, to understand more of God in the sense of, I'll use the word intellectual or, you know, being or questions of, I prefer to use the word science, to understand the science of it. But the other one has nothing to do with science. The other one is, tell me why six million were killed. Uh, explain to me, you know, why this happened or that happened. Or it doesn't have to be six million. Why does Plony suffer all of his life and Almoni doesn't? You know, all those types of questions. Uh, there, in that place, in other words, in that level of, of life after death, will, 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 will come not just the answers, but in other words, the Nechama of it. Uh, as he puts it, those who cried over the Churm Beis the Mashiach will give them COVID. Now, like I said before, you don't know, um, you know, how precisely this is to be unpacked in terms of the, uh, uh, the metaphors. But the, the general idea you, de- you definitely see. The general idea you definitely see. Now look at this. I've already gone 45 minutes. All right, let's close this down now. Went too long, and uh, we will resume this next time. So once again, Mazatov Mishmach Stefanski, and uh, with that, I wish everybody a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.